Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Thursday afternoon, quickly, we are moving through the week. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along for the ride this afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. One week from tonight, college football in the state of Mississippi. Hattiesburg will be the location. The Rock, M.M. Roberts Stadium. Southern Miss and South Alabama, and we got the television details yesterday, so that got lost in the shuffle with uh, a lot happening yesterday. An 8 p.m. kickoff game will be on CBS Sports Network. You will get to stay up late if you want to watch college football next uh, Thursday night for the uh, for the season opener. Uh, you've also got football this weekend, an FCS game happening in Montgomery with Austin P and Central Arkansas. So uh, football on the horizon, and we are certainly glad that it's here. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. That's the best way for you to jump in and be a part of the conversation. Boys, what's up? Oh, just another day. In the year 2020, but just another day. Yeah. Where there's hey, Dad. Wild... Any rosier outlook for you? I'm in a good mood. Well, good. I try Glad to, to hear there. it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll do everything we can to uh, keep you in a good mood as we move throughout the uh, the show this afternoon. The biggest topic in sports is not one, though, that is warm and fuzzy. It is the players boycotting games. They shut down the NBA playoffs yesterday. They're not going to play games tonight, although the NBA uh, is apparently going to resume its playoffs, presumably uh, tomorrow night. I am doing my best not to be jaded. And you remember yesterday how we were talking about if there was like an independent place where you could get news, you'd be all over it? I, I don't know that this is necessarily completely independent. I was watching CNBC earlier today, and we're talking financial news. I mean, it's all finances all the time. If you watch between 9 in the morning and 4 in the afternoon, it is nothing but stock market, stock market, stock stock market, and everything that affects the stock market. And so there was a sports report in there that was about the NBA. And the reporter said that uh, the meeting last night among the players was contentious. It was emotional. And when the NBA players heard from their union representative, the message was this. You can absolutely boycott the remainder of the playoffs. You can shut it down right now to make a statement. But if you do that, 
be prepared to see a reduction between 20 and 30% in salaries next year because of the lost revenue, specifically from television, for the remainder of the playoffs. We've got the entire second round, the conference finals, and the NBA finals still to go. And that is the most valuable part of the real estate in terms of television. And when that news came to light and they took a vote, the vote was to return to play. And so again, I am attempting not to be jaded, but I can't help but have a reaction that goes, okay, so it was all about making a statement right up until the point that it had the potential to affect the bottom line. Not the bottom line for the owners, which it would do, but affecting the bottom line for the players. And then it's, well, how can we return and still have our voices heard? I'm not necessarily saying that's disingenuous, but I might be saying it's a little bit disingenuous. Everybody out there encourage all oh, players, boycott, boycott, do it, stand up for what's right. And everybody's on board with that. Right up until a point where it actually affects me. Now, you've got some players out there who've already made $100 million in their career or a couple of hundred million dollars in their career, and for them, a reduction in salary of 20 to 30%, probably not that big a deal. If you're making $20 million a year, and you reduce the salary by 20%, now you're making $16 million. And maybe that's not that big a deal if you've already banked a quarter of a billion dollars in your playing career, and you're still going to make that kind of money. It becomes real, really real, for the guys that are in their second, third, fourth, fifth year in the league, and they're making 4 and $5 million, and you're talking about reduction because they're not... That they're very much in their best opportunity to earn window. And so you guys tell me if I'm way off base. I mean, I, I am I am perfectly open to being convinced that Richard, you are way off base on this. You you don't get it. You don't understand. But I kind of think I do understand. And I had somebody tell me this morning that is older than me and wiser than me and has been successful. When somebody tells you it's not about the money, deep down, it's really probably about the money. So tell me where I'm wrong here. It's foolish to assume that there there wasn't money motivated at some point. There's no question about that. Um, For me, what I didn't understand was this. Basketball is what gives the platform to protest. I I don't have a problem with these guys protesting, boycotting, striking, whatever you want to call it. I don't have a problem with them speaking their minds. But without basketball, where are they doing it? You know, it, it seems to me like they could make a much bigger statement by playing these games, and then in the post-game press conference, if they want to address some social justice issues, if they want to talk about it before the game, if they want to have a solid, whatever it is. But without basketball, you have no platform. You know, this, this show is my platform for what stuff I want to talk about. So if I leave, where's my platform? That's what I didn't understand in this. So yeah. I would imagine there was probably some uh, some talk about other issues, but it's, it's it would be disingenuous, like you said, to say that money wasn't brought up by at least one person in that room. Borky, um, in Doc Rivers' uh, 
apparently has been trying to tell that tell them that for a couple of days uh, is that I mean your gift is basketball that doesn't mean you have to only be a basketball player but that's your gift and that's why people care about you so if you want them to listen you got to do the thing that makes them want to listen but I, I thought about this all night last night and then into this morning and I try my hardest, and especially have lately, to to see where everybody is coming from. And I think what I have learned is when the players decided, especially the Bucks, because they have a teammate that you can go watch the video, uh, was the victim of police brutality. You can watch the video. He was. So when they decided to walk off the court, I thought, you know, their heart, I think their heart is in the right place. I think it is. And then I watched their statement. And there were a few things they said where I thought, you know, that doesn't sound so bad. Athletes asking the legislature in Wisconsin to come to a session to pass reform bills. That's okay. I get it. Good. And then at the end, the last thing they said was, and remember to vote on November 3rd. And what that statement actually says is, remember to vote for Joe Biden on November 3rd, is what that statement really says. And I thought, if you think that a decades-long career politician who served eight of those as the vice president of this country, who has deteriorating, whose mind is deteriorating, clearly, is going to be the fixer of this issue... I've got some oceanfront, oceanfront property in Arizona to sell you. Uh, he's not going to do anything about it. And uh, what I keep thinking is th- why I said these players' hearts are in the right place. Because I think them, like everybody, would prefer people not die. Right? That's really what they want. They're not saying don't arrest people. They're not saying don't arrest George Floyd for breaking the law. They're saying let's try to find a way for him not to die while doing it. And what I've noticed and what I haven't seen is when all of these things happen, because they have happened often and for a long time, the people who are in charge or who are supposed to be leaders of this country do nothing about it. Now, they release a statement. They'll they'll condemn it. But you have political leaders, and I'm running out of time, unfortunately, um, so I'll just stop here and pick back up, but, um, yeah, let's just do that. Sorry. I've got a lot of thoughts here. <laughs> and I've, well, I've planned this in my head too, and a heartbreak just ruined it. Ceasefire text line is open for your thoughts as well at 601-879-4395. we got plenty of time with you this afternoon. There are a whole lot of layers to this. There is, uh, there's no question. Sports Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, on this Thursday. Be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, and Michael Borky on this Thursday. Thanks for being with us. We've got plenty to get into with you this afternoon. There will not be basketball tonight. You do have Major League Baseball happening, including Seattle and San Diego playing right now after um, delaying, postponing, boycotting their game last night. 
So they made a statement last night, but have returned to the diamond today. And you had multiple teams that did that. That happened in uh, in San Francisco with the Dodgers and the Giants, who are in the bottom of the first inning right now with the Dodgers leading one to nothing. So Major League Baseball gets right back to it after uh, a brief delay last night. And uh, the NBA is taking another day off and then is expected to return this evening. I do want to point something out before we go back to, to Borky and kind of let him finish the thoughts that, that he was putting together. My goal in talking about the situation that we're dealing with in sports, but also kind of the larger issues that we're dealing with in society, is not to belittle the seriousness of what's going on. That's not the case at all. But I do want us to talk about both sides of the story, or multiple sides of the story. Because you got a lot of people that want to point out one piece of a story and ignore the rest of it. And to me, that's the part that is, that's no good. When, when, you, when you take a complex issue and you try to boil it down to a single thing and say, this is what it's about, and we have to change this, and we have to change this, and there's nothing else. Well, that's that's not good enough. Um, I think there are a lot of different angles that go into the conversation about the relationship between police forces across the entire United States and people of color. And that is an existence that has to improve. It's got to improve. And it's got to improve on both sides. It's got to improve on the law enforcement side, and it's got to improve on the the side of, uh, of people of color. I don't honestly think that it is isolated to people of color, but I don't want to take away that that part of the issue. I don't want to try and hijack the issue and say, well, there are other groups that also have run-ins or issues with police officers. Because that, that would be disingenuous on my part. So, so let's not lose sight of, of what story, the, the story is, but let's make sure that we talk about all the sides of the story. And, you know, another thing that, that I think is important, that I'd like to, to have a, a relatively clear answer on is, what's the path forward? What is it that players in the NBA and Major League Baseball and the NFL, what, what are they looking for? How are they willing to work to affect change? How can we all work to affect change? To make the United States of America a better place for everyone. So, Borky, you were headed down that road and, and had yeah. other things that you wanted to say. If, Carry on. If there's ever evidence that I don't control when we go to commercial, it's me literally interrupting it. myself. Um, well, that and the, the governor and yesterday the governor. as well. Uh, so what I was, was saying is uh, when things like this happen, uh, you get statements from our nation's elected leaders, but but nothing more. And And I can tell you that while there are bad police officers, you've probably seen some videos of police officers doing things that are not within their duty that are bad. But there are bad lawyers and bad doctors and bad teachers and bad radio hosts. The overwhelming majority of police officers, I believe, never want to take their gun out of its holster, let alone point it at somebody 
and fire it, killing them. But when has, any time something like this happened, has there ever been a leader in this country that has called police officers, leaders from around the country to Washington to ask them if they have any ideas? How do you stop this? What can we do differently to help you avoid having to shoot and kill somebody? Is there anything that, that you guys have come up with in your time on the field? Because nobody has more experience apprehending criminals than our nation's police officers. So is there anything that you have found that maybe is lacking in training? Or an idea that you have come up with in your experience that could help stop it go from taser to death? Is there anything you've come up with? Has our leaders ever contracted our weapons manufacturers and asked them to make some kind of apparatus that can easily or easier help apprehend criminals without having to kill them? And if that technology actually exists, why is it not in every police car right now? And so when something like this happens, nothing ever gets done about it. And so when athletes boycott these games, I think they're doing it because they see that there's inaction. And all that our leaders do in Washington is point fingers but do nothing about it. Have you ever, and maybe it's happening behind the scenes, but has there ever recently, at least, been a public reform bill of any kind, from the left or the right? Has there ever been some kind of a summit with our nation's police officers to help find a way to better apprehend criminals without having it end in death. Has that happened recently? It hasn't. And so these players see that, and because they are at the end of the day, I am just a person that talks on the radio and nothing more. They're basketball players. They don't have nuanced understanding of police work. But when they see this happen, and then our leaders do absolutely nothing about it, they feel compelled to speak out, but since they aren't well-layered and nuanced in it, at times, like you point out, it seems disingenuous or misinformed or, or whatever the case may be. Because right now what I see is an issue at the very top. Because nothing actually gets done about the problem. All they do is point, oh, it's Donald Trump's America, or the next crisis, it's the Democrats, or it's the Republicans, and it's all their fault. And yet these people are lawmakers, and some of them have been for decades, and they have made so much money doing it, yet the, the Democrats in charge, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, the Republicans, Mitch McConnell, these people that have been in there for decades don't write a single law to fix the problem when that is their job, what they're tasked to do, and they don't do anything about it. We haven't balanced a budget in how long? Our lawmakers do nothing at all. Sometimes criminals are not going to surrender to police when they are told to. That's going to happen no matter what you tell people. That's still going to be part of the job for a police officer. And I promise you, the overwhelming vast majority of them do not want that to end in death. But have we ever asked them how we can change their approach to make that less likely? And so maybe that's what the players are asking for. Maybe they're doing it the wrong way. Maybe they don't even really know what they're asking for. But nobody's acting. All they're doing is finger pointing.
lot of good thoughts there. There's a lot to uh, lot to unpack and what uh, unpack in uh, in what you said. And this isn't a this isn't an issue that gets resolved in um, three hours on a radio show. It's not an issue that gets resolved in in three weeks or or three months or maybe even three years. But I think what maybe would be a good thing is for us to see incremental progress. And it feels like feels like the thing I, I, I'm not sure I'm saying this the right way, but a sense of community is missing in towns, cities, neighborhoods all over the country. And I don't know if that's what a lot of people want or not. The the violent protesters, I, I don't think they want anything. I think they just want violence and looting and chaos. But the people who are, are protesting and are actively working to, as I said earlier, affect change. Those are the people that have got a chance to make a difference. As opposed to um, strained relationships between law enforcement and tough neighborhoods. What if we have a few people that, that are willing to say enough is enough? What if LeBron James, instead of inflammatory posts on Twitter or Instagram or whatever else, what if he says, I'm going to be the beacon for change in rough neighborhoods in my home state of Ohio or my new state of California, and I'm going to be the bridge that creates a relationship that works between tough neighborhoods and law enforcement. We're going to come together and we're going to work together to recreate community as opposed to making a disaster. A couple of thoughts as we come back. And then we're going to move on to the Farm Bureau phone line and visit with our good buddy, Luke Johnson. It's coming up in just a second. If you're somebody that sends a message on the ceasefire text line that says, don't politicize a sports show, Richard. Not what I'm trying to do. And if you're the guy that says, move on, let's talk about sports. Well, this is kind of the intersection of sports and life. And we're going to talk about it. And for those of you that are immediately going, oh, well, you're a bunch of liberals with the way you say no, we're we're not doing that. And, and here's the one, I, I will say that there is a challenge in what we do. This is a three-hour show. And it was a three-hour show yesterday and the day before. And over the course of time, we talk about things from a lot of different angles. And if you just happen to tune in when we're talking about a specific angle or one layer of the onion that we're peeling back, you, you might not like exactly what we're saying at that particular time, but you have to understand it's part of a much larger conversation. I'm not pushing you away. I'm not denigrating anyone who sent a text message. Some of you completely disagree with this. Some of you agree with it. Some of you are fascinated by the conversation. Some of you hate the conversation. 
But it's a big conversation, not just where we are, maybe less where we are than it is in much of the rest of the world, but it's an effect. There, there is an effect everywhere. Got some good text messages we're going to get to coming up in just a little bit on the ceasefire text line, but right now we'll go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Luke Johnson is in Hattiesburg where we are one week from opening night. And Luke, you might want to take a nap early. You may want to drink coffee in the afternoon, even if you don't normally do that, because it's going to be a little bit later start, an 8 p.m. kickoff. But we did get the television announcement, CBS Sports Network, and i got to believe that there are going to be a lot of eyes nationally on Hattiesburg, Mississippi, one week from tonight when the Golden Eagles host South Alabama. Yeah, it's unique. Um, at the same time, um, you get the opportunity for you know the country to watch and CBS Sports uh, had the rights to that game. That's kind of Russ Anderson of uh, Conference USA explained to us uh, earlier this week on Eagle Hour. That was the reason for that. Um, you see some of the Sunbelt teams getting some ESPN slots uh, on Saturday, and the reason it's CBS Sports, that's uh, who has the rights to it. So, yeah, I'm just happy football is going to be played uh, at Southern Miss in the state of Mississippi, and, and I'll uh, I'll be there. And, and my question is, are, have you all finalized it? Are you all coming to Hattiesburg? We are working on it. As I understand, there are – the short answer is yes, I think so, but I don't have the details yet. All right, so last time Borky Haydad and I were together at The Rock, they both got Southern mishaps, and they both proudly wore those. So if you show up in Hattiesburg next week, just know that it won't just be you ringing a cowbell in 2020. You'll be wearing hmm. a Southern mishat at The Rock. Look, to celebrate the start of the college football season with Southern Miss being the first team to uh, to play a game, I am in. Can, can it be one of those really cool-looking USM black baseball caps? Yeah, we'll get you one. I, I think my man Scott Berry can help with that. Absolutely. I think. Seven and three-eighths, by the way, just in case you were wondering. Made a note. Good to know, good to know. Uh, depth chart released today. Any surprises? Um... On the offense, not really a couple of, of blanks, um, you know, get filled in. The offensive line uh, gets filled out. There's a several places on this depth chart where you have an or, where you basically have one guy or another guy. Left tackle was the big question. Trey Johnson and Kaleek Washington uh, will fill. One of those guys will start at left tackle. Um, Arvin Fletcher, who's played on the inside at the guard position, he's going to start at right tackle. Bryce Foxworth and Coker Wright will be the left guard and the right guard. And then Trace Clopton, this is his third year as a starter. He'll be at the center. Um, quarterback, of course, is what we would thought it would be. Don Ragsdale officially listed as the starting running back. Uh, hmm. But Perkins, Baker, and, and Gore Jr., they're four deep there, and that's because you'll probably see all four of those guys play. Uh, wide receivers. Brown now, Luke, Lee, let me interrupt Brown you there Perkins. for a second. I mean, Don yeah. Ragsdale, we talked about him so much last year as we were focusing on junior college football every single week. It felt like we were kind of touting his numbers. You expected that he was going to be in this spot. Uh, there was some positive talk about Frank Gore Jr. at the start of camp. It, it, do you think he's going to be the number two guy, or do you think the, those other three will kind of share the carries? There's going to be roles. So D. Baker and Brandon Hayes. Brandon Hayes is a true freshman from Oak Grove. Brandon Hayes and D. Baker are going to be, we expect to be used more like in a DeMichael Harris type of role last year, getting them into space. Uh, Perkins is going to be your short yardage back. 
Don Ragsdale is going to be probably the bell cow. He'll probably get the most. And Gore Jr. is just going to be used in all kinds of different ways. He's been described in scrimmages as you think he's going to have one yard and he's kind of disappears in the scrum and, and reappears with seven or eight yards. He's had the, the most productive in the scrimmages. He rushed for, I think, 72 yards this past Saturday. So, yeah, I expect to see four or five backs involved in the game plan. You were going to wide receivers next, I think. Yeah, Tim Jones, of course, close to 1,000 yards last year. Uh, he'll be outside. Jason Brownlee, who led uh, Chuco nationally last year, uh, right at 1,000 yards and 11 touchdowns for East Mississippi. He's going to start the other. Backing him up is a guy named Marquise McCoy, 6'4", 216, big guy, played at Delta uh, a couple years ago. And then in the slot, uh, Demarcus Jones, he's a 5'11", uh, 200, Richard Jr. Antavius Willis from, uh, from Jackson is going to back him up in the slot. Uh, a guy that's not listed is Dequan Bailey Brown, and you can just search his name on Twitter. An explosive kid, call it four four kid. Uh, he he's a little behind in the offense, I think, but he could he could make a splash early. So uh, the offense basically the the what we expected it to be, maybe one or two spots different. Luke Johnson, co-host of the Eagle Hour, Super Talk Hattiesburg, Super Talk Laurel. Southern Miss will open the season against South Alabama. I think I saw some early odds come out, and uh, Southern Miss pretty big favorite in this game, aren't they? Yeah, South Alabama coming off a two and ten season. Um, you look at they they lost by fourteen at Nebraska. Um, they got blown out by Appalachian State. They lost a couple close games, but. You, know, you always look how people finish. They beat Arkansas State, who had a winning record last year, and a real good coach, Blake Anderson team. They beat um, Arkansas State to close the season out. So, yeah, Southern Miss is a favorite uh, for sure at home. Southern Miss all-time when you open in Hattiesburg, I think they're like 44-8 and all-time in, in openers. At the same time, um, Steve Campbell's a good coach, and uh, you never know what they might throw out on the field. I mean, Let's be honest, the 2020 season, you may only get to play one game. So you literally will leave it all out on the field because you don't know. Luke, I'm not going to hear any of that. You can just (laughs) zip that. You can take it back. You can shove it right back into your mouth where it came from. I don't want to hear we're only playing one game, especially when we're three weeks away from anybody else playing a game. So we're going to get this one in, and then we're going to ease toward a bunch of other ones. If I'm a player, that's my mindset. I'm I'm going to be like you guys thought yesterday at North Dakota State. I got one chance. If I get another chance, so be it. You know, that actually is uh, interesting when you think about mindset of players in this because there's so much question. Once the games start, they're going to be focused on nothing but the games. It's kind of everything in between that. But this is, I mean, coaches preach one game at a time, always. But we get trapped in it, and I feel like players, I mean, you're a former player. You, you didn't always buy into the whole one-game-at-a-time thing, did you? Uh, if we didn't, we, we, and we got our butts kicked, uh, we sure did the next week. I mean, that was something that Jeff Bauer preached to us. It was actually it was on our, uh, it was a slogan that was on our practice field for a few years. And I can, I can remember... Sorry, I have no idea what that was. My fault. Was I that think you? that came from. I, I had a panic, what man. On I earth? thought that was something I was doing. I was like, Borky what just wigged out. I had no idea. I, I looked at the board and I, I like I was even. I was like, turning, what button did I push? I was I turning the hate at all for some reason. <laughs> we all know what Michael Borky does when we're. Uh, when, when someone's on, we all know. 
Whew. Richard, quit, 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 quit pushing the buttons. Quit it. Look, it's only recently that I've actually figured out how to play something through the computer on this board that I'm using, and I didn't realize that that pot was up, and it was one of those auto-roll ads. So, anyway, uh, I don't even know what we were talking about, Luke. Got one game at a time. Jeff, Jeff you, Bowers you, you practice to. You, you were trying to sell me on the idea that players don't look ahead to big games down the line. I guess I was just making the point that if ever there was a year to take it one game at a time, this is it. Yeah, it's just I can tell you the few games when we played where we overlooked somebody to the next week. And I can remember one time we were talking about the Liberty Bowl after we beat TCU on national television. We were sitting getting ready to play a one-win East Carolina team. Jeff Bauer chewed us out in the hotel. So, yeah, you never want to overlook a, a, a game. Michael Borky doesn't need to overlook his playlist either. <laughs> I've never heard we're that doing... song before. It sounded kind of cool. Luke, we're doing everything we can to make sure that we are there next Thursday and uh, certainly looking forward to the start of the college football season. We will talk to you between now and then. Uh, but in the meantime, have a great weekend. Just a week Seven away. And three eights. Seven and three-eighths. I got it. Seven and three-eighths. I think that means I've got a melon. Not a hate ad size melon, but a melon nonetheless. Seven and five-eighths. That's right. Have a great weekend. Good. Seven and five-eighths. I thought you were going to tell me you were like seven and seven and eight, seven eights, but really an eight was more comfortable. That would be a big noggin. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll wrap up the first hour after this. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along on this Thursday afternoon. Nebraska players are suing the Big Ten. We'll get into that a little bit more coming up. Mm. I mean, the Big (laughs) Ten has been a model. I mean, it's been a model conference, right? I mean, it's when you talk about the leagues that that do it the best, people talk about the SEC and the Big Ten. But the uh, the Big Ten has been an exercise in just ineptitude. Is that, the, is that the right word to describe it? They at least need a new communications branch. It's just, they just keep compounding the same mistake. They made a mistake, and then they just keep adding to it somehow. You know, it's, it's like they can't get past it for whatever reason. Are we sure this is surprising, though? Because remember, this is the college football conference that named their divisions the Legends and the Leaders. They did eventually walk that back. They did, but... You know, maybe there's no guy in the Big Ten office that puts his hand up and says, hey, you know, maybe we should uh, tell people why. Or maybe we shouldn't call our division the legends and the leaders. They should just be east and west. This will certainly not get as much play as the announcement that football season is happening and nobody's, I don't think SEC Network is going to be doing a schedule reveal show for this. But I think positive news today from the Southeastern Conference, the SEC has established new start dates and formats for all the other sports that are participating in the fall. Cross-country season will run September, no pun intended, 11th through October 23rd. You should just let that in there, pun intended, man. I got to chuckle out of here. When does soccer kick off? 
Uh, soccer, September 18th, eight weeks, one game a week, followed by SEC tournament that this year will include all 14 teams, will last nine days, and will guarantee every single team there at least two games. They'll play matches on either Fridays, Saturdays, or Sundays based on campus activities and television opportunities. Volleyball has a season that will run six weeks from October 16th through November 27th. They will compete against four opponents. They will play the same opponent twice in the same weekend for a total of eight matches. And then golf and tennis will happen as well. Teams may compete in up to three team events. Competition cannot begin before October 1st, and teams are limited to events events involving only SEC members or non-conference teams from the school's geographic region. In cross-country, schools cannot compete in consecutive weeks. Um... In soccer, they may move matches to Thursday once they get to the fifth weekend for potential makeup dates. This is good news. And here's the other thing that, that is fascinating about this. All of these sports are going to participate in the fall, but will be eligible to participate in the spring for any NCAA championship-style events. Which is weird. But, how do you stay? How do you stay in shape for that? How do you continue to practice? Well, but soccer, soccer is kind of a, a a dual semester deal anyway. They have their competition season in the fall, but then they play matches that are that, that don't really count in the spring. But they do play matches. Like, I think it's maybe three in the spring. It'll be a little bit different for volleyball. I mean, I guess they'll just stay kind of in a training regimen year round. I don't know, on, on cross-country. I mean, if you're a cross-country runner, you never really stop running, do you? Well, no, in, no, you mean you stay in shape. So. In the name of... I've never understood... Like, Big Ten's not playing cross-country. Or not playing. I don't know what you call it. Not running cross-country. There um, you go. But the sport in and of itself, the goal of the sport is to socially distance from your opponent. I mean, why are they not allowed to play or run? Because the Big Ten just shut it all down. I mean, same thing with tennis. Like, I guess you guys play with the same ball, but you don't. I mean, you don't really touch them, except for on the serve. But can't you just cycle through them or have? But the players aren't anywhere close to each other. Yeah, it's just nonsense. Well, all of it. And with golf and tennis, hey, Dad, to your point just a second ago, both of those sports play in the the spring and the fall anyway. Yeah, true. You know, the championship side for those two sports comes in the spring semester, but they both play fall matches. So you're allowing them to play fall matches and, in the case of soccer, compete for a conference championship in the fall, but then they'll be able to come back in the spring and uh, potentially be eligible for uh, NCAA postseason as well. So feels like that's a positive development. It's been football, 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 but now you roll out this news for uh, the other sports to participate in the fall, and they're all moving forward. Wouldn't think that that announcement would have been made if they didn't feel pretty good about it happening. Sports Talk Mississippi, 4 o'clock hour next. 
second leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs happening on the PGA Tour BMW Championship Olympia Fields Country Club that is in Illinois I think suburban Chicago but maybe I just kind of assume the entire state of Illinois is suburban Chicago which would be an unfair assessment uh, suffice it to say, Olympia Fields playing a little more difficult than TPC Boston did last week. Tyler Duncan and Mackenzie Hughes tied for the lead, both on the course, two under through 11. Big group at one under, including Billy Horschel, Tony Finau, Adam Scott, Tom Hogue, Abraham Anser, who has uh, had a really good season. Tiger Woods sitting there at even par through 13. Even par last week for Tiger. Didn't get him very far. Even par this week has him two off the lead in the first round. Why can't there be any excitement for these events? Golf inherently is not a sport that requires playoffs. You know? You already had an established four majors, and that's what everybody points to as the big one. Like, no matter how much money you put on the the FedEx Cup champion, and on top of all of that, you can win the FedEx Cup championship and finish dead last at the tour championship. You don't have to win the final event to win the playoff. The math's probably not exactly right on that, but you don't have to win the tournament. You have to win the tour championship to win the FedEx Cup playoffs. That's like saying. Well, you know, the Lakers, when they're, uh, they're in the NBA Finals, they only have to win two games. They can get beat 4-2 to two in the series, but since something they did weeks ago happened, that's all they have to do. You know what I mean? Still get the big prize. You still get yeah. the big prize. And so the sport already has bigger events, and the format is still hard to get behind. Yeah. Players like it, though, because they're playing for $15 million. Yeah, that check is fun. And second place isn't bad if you finish second in the uh, the playoffs. Like, hey, Dad could probably go to Vegas for a weekend on the second place prize. What? Well, how much is it? Um, like now, I feel pretty confident you're right, but you know, I'd like to know. What my, Four what my million, seven million, something oh, like that. Yeah, yeah, I'd be okay. Let's see. Let's see if I can find the FedEx Cup playoff payouts. It can be plus or minus a million there, and I'll still be fine. I think everybody that play everybody that plays in the tour championship gets money. There are only thirty players that play in the tour championship. Uh, last year, first cup when you won the uh, the first place when you won the FedEx Cup, fifteen million dollars out of a seventy million dollar bonus fund. Runner-up gets $5 million, hey, Dad. Third place, $4 million. Fourth place, $3 million. Fifth place, $2.5 million. All the way down to $70,000 if you finish between one twenty-six and one fifty in the FedEx Cup fin- playoff standings. I could finish in that range and still have a fantastic weekend. Like, you could take the seventy grand and have a long weekend in Vegas and come home satisfied. Yes. Are we singing the words now? What's going on? I don't know. I just it's just kind of how it came out. It happens. Yes, I could I could stay in a nice room, eat at the good restaurants, play a little poker, it'd be great. You ought to be able to play a, more than a little poker. Uh, you, you don't right? want to play too much. Yeah, you just got to be careful. You got to know your limits. Bet with your head, not against it. 
Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Be honest, you know your business deserves better, so get better with a Ceasefire business internet and phone bundle. Backed by real support, see how Ceasefire can power your success today at ceasefire.com slash business. So there's this story about Nebraska suing its conference. It's not the university, it's players. Eight Nebraska football players filed a lawsuit against the Big Ten seeking a reversal of its decision to postpone the fall sports season and get greater clarity as to how league leadership arrived at the conclusion. I hope St. Jude is their attorney. St. Jude is the patron saint of lost causes. That's like, I got that reference. I don't know how many Catholics. I, I don't know like. if everybody else did. I felt like there was a need to explain. But this is a lost cause. A judge is not going to overturn the conference's decision to not play football. Now, I suppose it's possible that they could get a little more explanation, but isn't that why Tom Mars was filing the Freedom of Information Act requests? Yeah, and you can find those requests online if you want to on his law firm's website, because this is definitely for the kids and not for his own personal gain. The Omaha World-Herald obtained a copy of the 13-page complaint which contends that the league's August 11th action to postpone should be overturned because it didn't follow established procedures in the decision-making process and was unjustified based on flawed and misapplied medical information. The suit is being filed in the District Court of Lancaster County. The Husker players that are represented are Garrett Snodgrass, who I think is a freshman, Garrett Nelson, Ethan Piper, Noah Polagates, Alante Brown, Brant Banks, Brig Banks, and Jackson Hanna. Those whose families are core members of the Nebraska Parents Group, which first presented the possibility of legal action in an open letter last week. Well, five of those guys, including the Banks brothers and Snodgrass. Mike Flood is the player's attorney, not Tom Mars, and said the lawsuit isn't about money or damages. It's about real-life relief. Nebraska student-athletes followed every precaution and protocol as laid out by the University of Nebraska Medical Center with the expectation playing football this fall. An arbitrary and capricious decision takes away that opportunity. Our clients want to know whether there was a vote and the details of any vote and whether the Big Ten followed its own rules in reaching its decision. They had a- Flood says, sadly, these student-athletes have no other recourse than filing a lawsuit against their conference. By the way, the, the three main points in the lawsuit, wrongful interference with business expectations, breach of contract, and declaratory judgment. Lawsuit states represented players will not seek or accept damages of $75,000 or greater in the action. So they're not going after money here. This is a this is a lawsuit about principle for the student athletes. They had a preliminary hearing today. Mhm. And this is what the Big 10 has argued. Basically, uh they don't believe that the players have standing because that's what the, of course they would argue. Uh the Big 10 is claiming that they are not subject to Freedom of Information Act requests, that there are no laws that govern the conference office. I would agree with that. 
That's why all the requests went to the schools. So for whatever that's worth, um, apparently they say that they can prove that a vote actually occurred. And if that's the case, why haven't you just told everybody what it was, like the Pac-12? But they're keeping that a secret, but they claim they can prove it. And the Big Ten is also arguing that it belongs in a federal court. So this may drag out for a little while because that's what legal proceedings do. Yeah. They're not overturning the decision to play the season. No. And the wheels of justice move slowly. So, <laughs> different way of saying what Borky said, yeah, this is going to be drawn out. Do you have any issue with what uh, what these players are doing? No. None. Just... It's, it's, it's worth the fishing expedition, I would imagine. At least ask for transparency. I, I mean, I, I, I know that people make decisions in the name of safety. The Pac-12 made decisions that they thought were in the best interest of their kid. The difference between them and the Big Ten, of course, as we've mentioned, is they were more transparent about it, and everybody seemed to be on board because there was great communication. But when you are told that your football season that you've spent your entire life working on, the reason why you're at the college in which you have attended, what you live for has been taken away from you and nobody will tell you why, that's messed up. Even if it's the right decision, as some people will argue, it's messed up that they don't know why. That James Franklin recently said, I don't know what to tell my players because nobody has spoken to me. That's a, that's a real problem. And that, that's where it lies. And the media narrative is, all oh, the Big Ten's being responsible and the SEC is being irresponsible. And Max Kellerman gets up on ESPN today and says, uh, fans and SEC country are dumb uh, and we're easily susceptible to false information. That was on ESPN today. Uh, they just want to know why. Because it's sad that these kids had their life taken away from them, which this is what they live for. And nobody's told them why. I think Max Kellerman's generally pretty smart. But I don't... I mean, I may poke fun at myself from time to time, but I don't generally think I'm dumb. It's almost like I'm an independent thinker and have the ability to look at facts and decide for myself instead of being told what to believe. Most of the time. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Quick timeout. Back after this. Yeah, baby. You're feeling it. Just drink it in. Tap it into my veins. Let's go. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming at supertalk.fm. Borky told me just a second ago we have another stadium attendance policy that has been released. Yeah, Clemson. 19,000 people in an 82,000-seat stadium. Luckily, somebody else did the math for me. That is 23% capacity. I don't know how you arrive at 23, but that's what they decided. Well, Frank Howard only lost that, 23 games. Hold on. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That can't be 23% capacity. That math doesn't well, work, Borky. Because 19 divided by 80, that is 23%. Attaboy! 
Do you have a uh, the Price is Right trombone just queued up for him sometimes? Can we? Hey, you remember when your math teacher said you're not always going to have a calculator handy? That's why you got to learn how to do this stuff. No, the reality is we live in a time where you've always got a calculator handy. And yeah. maybe you ought to use the darn thing before you open your mouth sometimes, Richard. Eat it, Coach Dodgen. Yeah! You don't even have to use the calculator. I just Googled 19,000 is what percent of 82,000. It got 23.17. We have multiple Jeez. devices ready to help us find out these mathematics. Yeah, problems. no, I don't know. I think I was thinking... I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what he was thinking. <laughs> Didn't I mean, Arkansas do sound like Harry Doyle there? Too? Like obviously, it, pretty Taylor's darn thinking. simple math. If we're being, uh, you know, if you just want to get to a round number, okay, twenty thousand, eighty thousand, one fourth. Oh, that's twenty five percent. Yeah, it's, it's not terribly hard. Let me see what the ceasefire text line is saying, making fun of me right now. No, not yet. Not yet. It's coming. It, it'll be there. People don't forget, man. 601-879-4395. That's the number to make fun of Richard on the ceasefire text line. Love it. All right, here's what you got in the ACC. Boston College, no fans at the opener. Rest of the season, not yet announced. Magnolia Surveying says, y'all terrible at math. I knew Darren it was says, right. Darren says, I don't need a calculator. I have a Borky. Clemson just announced theirs. Duke, no fans. Well, did they have to announce that or Florida State, uh, twenty to twenty-five percent maximum, nineteen thousand eight hundred ninety. Which means they have Taggart somewhere in the neighborhood of an eighty thousand seat stadium. <laughs> Georgia Tech, twenty percent of capacity, eleven thousand. A lot of engineers there. They knew that. Hold on, hold on. That means they've got a fifty-five thousand seat stadium, right? Around that number. Yeah. Give or take. Yeah. Louisville going in 30%, which takes them to about 18,000. Don't want to overcrowd the oven. I know that for, for, for knowledge. They've done a fantastic job with that stadium, by the way. They had another upgrade. <laughs> Scott from Tupelo. Richard Cross equals Common Core. Ooh. Ooh. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, man. That's just brutal. Miami first game, 13,000, nothing announced other than that. North Carolina, North Carolina State, Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, uh, Syracuse, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest have not yet announced. Wouldn't you think that North Carolina and NC State and Wake Forest would all have roughly the same policy? You would think. Virginia and Virginia Tech would have roughly the same policy? Duke didn't. Duke went with none, so. Yeah, I don't know. They've gone with none for a while. I I feel bad for them. Fifteen thousand fans, but sixty thousand candles lit. If you want to buy one, just let you know. Let the church know. Jimmy in Hattiesburg. Hey, Richard. Seven years of college down the drain. (laughs) (laughs) He signed it, Bluto. Jimmy in Hattiesburg. Uh, Ah, be. Beware of the red shoe mathematician. See, people don't forget. David and Socher says, I always tell my son to think for a second before you correct someone. Usually I do. I'm telling you. I mean, it's me. 
You're quick to correct me. He was convinced he was right, and he was not. No, I'm like I was seeing what we were talking about in my brain, and it just didn't click. Yeah. I mean, I, I, in 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 terms of relatively simple math, I'm usually pretty good about that in my head, but mm, not this time. Baylor, twenty five percent capacity, eleven thousand two hundred eighty five. Iowa Checks State out. Is looking at three options. Nobody, 25% or 50%. Getting close Kansas to decision State. time, guys. Yeah, getting close. Kansas State, 25%. That's 12-5 there. Oklahoma, 25%. That's 21-5-28. Which puts them at about 86,000 capacity. Roughly, I think. We are we are rocking and rolling here. Yeah. Uh, Oklahoma State fans will be allowed. Attendance plan not announced. Tailgating will not be allowed. 12,000 at TCU, that's 25%. I did, 20... see a... Sorry? I did see a picture of Oklahoma State, and it looks like they took my idea, where they have those attachable seats, and yeah. they, they were... Like, there were some that had four, there were some that had two and stuff, and they were strategically placed around the stadium for social distancing purposes. And to your point that everybody made fun of you about, if people are in those seats, if every seat that they put in the stadium sells, it will look kind of full because of where they were placed. Hmm, yeah. You were on to something. We had a we had a listener in Corinth. I think it was Paul in Corinth, who jumped all over me about that. I think he was having fun, and then he followed up on it yesterday, wanting to know if a glass had if a glass was a quarter full of lemonade. Was there a way to make it look like the whole glass was full? Bad analogy. Texas is at 24,000. That's 25% stadium capacity. Now I'm like having to prove that I can do math. That means 96,000 is the capacity of the stadium. Texas Tech, 15 and change, 25%. West Virginia, nobody at the first game. Haven't decided yet about the rest of the season. Here's the SEC, and it's pretty much everybody the same. Bama's 20%. Arkansas, 21 to 23%. Auburn, 20%. Florida hasn't announced. Georgia 20 to 25 percent with a maximum of 23,180. Neither Kentucky nor LSU is announced. 25 percent at Ole Miss. That's 16,009. Mississippi State 25 percent. 15,334. Missouri 25 percent. Say what? To the single digit on that one. That was great. That's right, uh, Missouri. 25%. That's 15,655. South Carolina going 20 to 25%. Max of 23,000 and change. Tennessee, 25%. Same thing for Texas A&M. Both of those means north of 25,000 people. Just a little bit north, but north nonetheless. Uh, Vanderbilt hasn't announced, but who cares? How about Memphis? Do you see It'll what be Memphis less than is what doing? They were doing with full with full capacity. Yeah. 
Memphis is allowing 7% of the stadium's capacity. 12 feet social distancing. They doubled the CDC's requirements. So a maximum crowd of 4,500 at a Memphis game. And by the way, they are scheduled to play on Saturday night, September 3rd, to open the season. No, September 5th. 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 Saturday night, September 5th. Southern Miss 25%, 9,000 is their capacity. Troy just says that they will be significantly reduced from their normal capacity of 30,402, and tailgating is allowed. Good for you, Troy. Get it. There you go. Uh, it's getting more real, isn't it? I mean, you know, we spent the last five months. Um, will it happen? Yeah, it will. Will it happen? Well, will it happen? Yeah, it will. But now that we're here, and, I mean, you've had a couple of teams now with a significant-ish number of cases, and they've continued practice, LSU being one, kind of tells me that there's no more stopping, right? That every that everybody that's got games scheduled – they're going to play those games, at least the start, that they've got scheduled. Feels that way to me. There's no more stopping. Multiple people have suggested putting mannequins in empty seats. Mannequins are actually kind of expensive. What if you did blow-up dolls? Sports <laughs> <laughs> Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Good to be with you on this Thursday afternoon. Borky, you've come across some interesting tweets. Yeah. um, So, as we said before, if you're just joining us, uh, eight Nebraska players have decided to file a lawsuit against the Big Ten, and they had their preliminary hearing today. And the attorney representing the Big Ten uh, claimed that correspondence documents involving the Big Ten in their decision are not subject to Freedom of Information Act requests. He also said, quote, harm would be incredible, end quote, if the Board of Directors documents were made available to the public. He said the court is asking for something with no precedent. But the harm would be incredible. Uh, the harm to who? That's a reasonable um, That's a reasonable question. And I'm no judge, and the next law school class I take would be the first one. But if you're doesn't curiosity get you if nothing else of wait, these are we're just talking about a football season. Harm would be incredible. I think we need to see those documents now. Thank you. No doubt. Hey, now, what's your reaction to that? It's it's pretty typical of of college uh, administrations and things of that nature that they they will do everything in their power to to keep their power. So yeah, I'm not I'm not totally surprised by it and I agree with Borky. If ever we needed to see these documents now now we really need to see them because 
I mean, this is just dumb. It's just dumb at this point. It's pretty obvious that the Big Ten was completely fractured. Nobody, maybe two or three people actually wanted to, to cancel this, but they went ahead and did it anyway. Don't you think that Sean Callahan's the guy that was, was putting this information out there? He writes at Huskers Illustrated. Don't you think there's some enterprising journalists out there? whose interest is going to be piqued by that statement by the Big Ten and are going to dig in either even more to try and sue for these records? You would hope so, but most of them are glad that the decision was made, so they don't really want to uncover why. Hmm. So where does this go? So according to, according to Sean Callahan... Big Ten attorney Andrew Luger argues that the quote, as you were saying just a second ago, harm would be incredible, close quote, if board of director documents were made available to the public just because of eight student athletes disagree with the decision, said the court is asking for something with no precedent. Uh, said Judge Susan Strong gives the Big Ten until 5 p.m. on Monday to file a written brief in response to the motion for expedited recovery as they only had a couple of hours to look over anything today before it went to court, Andrew Luger, again the attorney for the Big Ten, argues that counsel is stating, quote, if the Big Ten can prove there was a vote, the whole case goes away. I just wonder if what Luger said in court would cause a rush of other players to join the lawsuit. If I'm well, maybe not Justin Fields. That might not be a, a great example. But if I'm a Big Ten player that needed one more season to prove that I was NFL worthy, don't you get mom and dad to call Tom Mars? He'll do it pro bono. You don't have to pay for him. Make a phone call. Wow. Ceasefire text line six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. Craig says, sounds like a job for Borky. Go get those records, young man. <laughs> oh, man. Jason says, I will be convinced that we're going to start football after kickoff. Too many moving parts, nothing resembling a consensus about what, how many, or where an outbreak of cases could bring everything to a screeching halt. The no-testing asymptomatic people is a scary prospect, especially on college campuses where everyone with it will be asymptomatic, just quietly passing the thing around until... It isn't quiet anymore because the hospitals are screaming. I was hopeful before I saw the new CDC thing. Now I'm afraid it's just a matter of time. I'm going to go cry now. Players are still going to get tested, though. Three times a week. Kevin and Smith will win blows. Blow-up dolls block MSU's game-winning field goal. There can be no better way to end 2020. Yeah, they'll line up for the Egg Bowl. Hey, typical 2020. Like, we will get to the Egg Bowl. We'll play all the games, and college football season will be great. And then they'll get to the Egg Bowl, and there will be like a power surge. And right as they're lined up for kickoff, power will cut off, and they can't get it back on. And that will be your 2020 Egg Bowl. 
By the way, the blow-up doll was not lost on many of you on the C Spire text line. I'm just not sure I can read all these texts. Maybe I should have said an inflatable pretend person. Same thing? It's all the same thing, yeah. It's all kind of the same thing. What a weird time we're living in. My wife asked me to explain yesterday to her, and I didn't know where to begin. I I don't know. Just a quick note, guys. Apparently, MSU's football players today have uh, decided not to practice as a a form of protest, uh, similar to evidently Kentucky did it earlier this week. But uh, a lot of MSU players right now are sort of active on Twitter, and they should be on the practice field. Uh, there's a post on a message board from a what appears to be a player's parent saying that they're they're taking the day off. Okay, so try to get some more information as I have it. We're supposed to talk to coaches uh, later tonight uh, after uh, pr- after it was supposed to be after practice. So I don't know what the deal is with that yet, but we'll find out. If I find out more, I'll certainly let you know. That's interesting. That's not terribly surprising. No, probably. Won't. I mean, like I said, if Kentucky was first, states here, I, but they won't be the last one. I don't think Alabama will do it, but we'll see about the about the rest. <laughs> well, not even every NFL team did it. I mean, what was the number ten today? Something like that. Yeah, the Red Sox are not playing again tonight. They're they're sitting out tonight. So, really, I, mean, I, I had not. The, I had not I mean, seen that news. It. I'm assuming that's probably a headline at this point on ESPN. I just missed it earlier. Is this person a real person? Hold on. This guy says he's a Red Sox beat writer for the Boston Globe. Red Sox have decided not to play tonight. That was at 3.20 p.m. Earlier today, games between the Athletics Rangers, Phillies Nationals, and Twins Tigers have been officially postponed. Red Sox Blue Jays expected to follow. That's after three games were postponed yesterday as well. Hey, Dad, I'm going to ask the uh, – and, and not that I expect you to answer this. Oh, uh, no, it's not that I don't expect you to answer. I don't expect you to know an actual answer. But right. I would I would be curious what the um, – you know, may, maybe Mississippi State players saying we're not going to practice today is purely symbolic. Mm-hmm. But is there a specific end goal? Is there is there an ask there? I think it's it's more symbolic than anything else. I, I can't I mean I can't imagine that, that the thought process is if we do this, real change is going to happen today. So I mean, it's probably just symbolic more than anything else. Interesting story that came from ESPN. Uh, Jackie McMullen was the uh, the writer on this. And we'll get into it a little bit more when we come back, but the most famous NBA player of all time, the face of basketball globally, arguably still, is taking on the role of conduit between the owners and the players. Michael Jordan, who was superstar of all superstars and is now an NBA owner, (laughs) 
proactively reached out to both Chris Paul, who is the Players Association president, and also Russell Westbrook, and is trying to bridge the gap. And there are some interesting quotes from uh, from MJ. We'll get back to that uh, in just a bit. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. So Michael Jordan told the group of owners there was a virtual meeting of NBA owners this morning. Two participants confirmed that Jordan, who serves as the NBA Labor Relations Committee chairman, was a voice of reason urging other owners to allow the players to express their frustrations and concerns before offering any of their own solutions. Jordan told the group, according to sources right now, listening is better than talking. There was a source that said Michael is the perfect person to be in this role. He's been a high-profile player who has won championships. He's also the owner of a small market team. He has great credibility both with the players and the owners. Many owners, including Jordan, sources said, favored continuing the season, believing the games were still the best and most visible platform for social change. See, I think that's what they're saying to each other. And I think it's true. But I think there's a matter of $900 million on the table as well. And the NBA has absolutely bent over backwards, has gone above and beyond to support the players in this movement and in this volatile time that we're in as a country. And they pulled it off as well. I mean, what what was the price tag for the bubble? $150 million? That's before they got paid full salaries. Even the guys that weren't invited to the bubble. The teams that didn't qualify. Full salary. So, um, and maybe that helps. I mean, the, the group of owners, maybe they use that. Or the players going into it understand that, hey, these people did bend over backwards for us, and the Major League Baseball owners did not. So maybe there's a, a bit of a rapport there. But I saw two things last night that, that bothered me. One was people kept sharing the quote, uh, sports are, are a reward for a functioning society, and right now we don't deserve them, which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. If you know any history about sports whatsoever, they were born from non-functioning societies. But anyway, and also, well, sports, are they shouldn't be your distraction, and they're not going to be your distraction anymore. And I, I think that's so misguided and wrong. Because... When people say sports are a distraction, they're not talking about necessarily talking about social issues. It's more of the guy that wakes up at 6 o'clock to get the kids ready for school, rushes them off to school, and then goes to a job he doesn't like and works his tail off for not enough money and has a boss that just really rides him all day long, doesn't like going to work, picks his kids up from daycare, gets them home, makes them dinner, puts them to bed, And at 8.30 or 8.45, whenever he finally has a moment for himself, he wants to put on his television and see a guy hit a home run or see somebody hit a three or score a touchdown to distract himself from his own life, which is difficult. Everybody listening to this show right now's life is tough. 
especially right now, after everything we've been through. Life is hard, man. No matter where you are or how much you have or how much you don't have, life is tough. Sports have been people's release from their own difficulty, not from yours or or something that's going on states away, miles away that they have nothing to do with. So vilifying people that say, I use sports as a distraction, oh, well, you shouldn't be distracted from social issues, what's going on. No, they want a distraction from their life, which is tough. And vilifying those people, I think, is so wrong and disingenuous and, and garbage. I think that's a really good point. I had a conversation with a guy today that is in, I think he said he was 62 or 63. Listens to this show regularly. Says I'm not the biggest sports fan. But I'll watch, you know, if I'm at home at night or on the weekend and there's something on, I'll watch something. He said, but I I don't want to see a ton in the way of politics when I'm watching sports. It's recreation for me. And and I understand that the NBA players might respond by saying, well, this is our, our job. And we're using our platform, and that's okay. But your job is different if you're an NBA player than the guy that Borky was referencing just a second ago. Who's grinding away to make the ends meet. Who is perhaps living paycheck to paycheck. And if not paycheck to paychecks, maybe got a little bit of savings set aside. A little bit of a rainy day fund. But but is not going Scrooge McDuck style and diving off a diving board into gold coins and swimming in them. There certainly is a disconnect that exists right now between fans of sports and the guys that are playing together. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Related to college basketball as we begin the 5 o'clock hour with you of Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad with you on this Thursday, the 27th of August. One week from Southern Miss kicking off the football, excuse me, the football season at home against South Alabama. That is next Thursday night at 8 p.m. Game is going to be televised by CBS Sports Network. I think that was officially announced uh, yesterday, certainly earlier this week. Uh, so the basketball news, John Rothstein, who covers the game nationally, says sources November 25th and December 4th have emerged as the two likeliest start dates to begin the 2020-21 college basketball season. So that would be pushing back the start of the season between two and three weeks. November 10th was scheduled to be the official start date of college basketball. So, what is that, Saturday, November 25th? I'm, I'm guessing on that. Um, yes, That's actually November. a Wednesday night. Okay, there you go. So Tuesday the 10th was supposed to be the start of the season. That is Wednesday the 25th, the day before Thanksgiving. It's bizarre. And then December 5th would be a week and a half later. That would actually be a Saturday. 
and I don't know if it's important to note or not, but as it currently stands, that means no Pac-12 at the beginning of college basketball. That is correct. Well, they that also they means that college that, right? basketball would be going head to head with college football on Saturday, December fifth. Mm-hmm. They are. They had already said that the Pac-12 that they weren't playing non-conference basketball, right? Well, they said nothing through the end of the calendar year or before January first. Okay. okay. Which so, yeah, that, I mean that which had which effectively non-conference basketball. Yes, that had effectively wiped out the uh, the non-conference slate for the uh, for the Pac-12. You want to be part of the show, you can do so on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. Want more fast and less furious? Switch to gigabit C Spire fiber and see what real Internet looks like. No data caps, no long-term contracts, no cancellation fees. Learn more online at cspire.com slash fiber. Time right now for the College Football Fix. Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. We've also got the summer sales event going on. We get later in the month. It's beginning to wind down. Still great savings on the full lineup of Ford SUVs. Again, visit your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. The Big Ten is considering several domes as sites for a potential winter 2021 football season. That is according to the Columbus Dispatch. Amanda Babb, who is the president of the Ohio State Football Parents Group, said in an interview on Wednesday that she had heard that indoor stadiums in Indianapolis, St. Louis, Detroit, Minneapolis, and possibly Syracuse were under consideration. Later in the day yesterday, Gene Smith, the athletics director at Ohio State, confirmed that contexting, uh, by texting yes and others, when asked about those potential sites, but declined to add any details. August 11th is when the Big Ten announced that it would not play fall sports because of coronavirus. Then the conference said that it would pursue the possibility of an early 2021 season, though they did not provide any details. Eight days later, on August 19th, Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the Big Ten, said a task force for a winter-spring season would be formed and included Ohio State President Dr. Christina Johnson. Ryan Day, the head football coach at Ohio State, and by the way, this story comes from um, Buckeye Extra, which is the reason that you get the uh, all the Ohio State references. Ryan Day has been a vocal proponent of a winter replacement season starting in early January rather than one that starts in the spring. He says the later the season, the less time there would be between that and the regular fall season says it's also more likely that more star Ohio State players would participate in a season that begins in January than in the spring because the NFL draft is scheduled for April and it's highly probable that top prospects would elect to prepare for the draft rather than play a spring college season. Weather, of course, is an issue, and that's why domes are part of this conversation. So we're going to ask two teams to travel every week. Yes. I don't think the dome piece of this proposal is unreasonable, though. No, it makes I sense mean, because of the weather, but I, I just find it funny that it's all about safety, right? But but not only that, like what Borky's saying, 
this was something you should have thought of ahead of time. Something you should have already had locked in when you decided we were going to a spring schedule. Oh, wait, it's 15 degrees and six inches of snow outside. Maybe we should, you know, go ahead and talk to some people who have dome stadiums. But they didn't do that. Now they're just going to hope that they can do it. And the beauty of the SEC schedule is over, what is it, 13 weeks, 12 weeks, teams will have to travel five times in three and a half months. Five times. This is asking all of your teams to travel eight, eight, nine, ten times. Do you feel like there is any more viability for a spring season now than when we first started talking about this, either three months ago or two weeks ago? It does feel like there's some momentum for it. The Pac-12 is championing the idea. So is the Big Ten. But what choice do they have other than to champion the idea? They don't. But like the FCS leagues, I am 100% convinced they will try to play in the spring, but that's because, in part, they're not filled with a bunch of guys that are not going to play to pursue their NFL future. I don't know how much of a factor that is, but if you just take Ohio State's roster, you've got a bunch of dudes that probably aren't playing because they're so close to that payday. It's different when you're Justin Fields and it's October, where if you get hurt, you can be healthy. On draft day. But if you're playing in February, March even, I I think that's different. It changes things. How much of that do they think about it? I I doubt any, especially when you have athletic departments losing hundreds of millions of dollars across the league. So maybe they just do it because they have to make money and they couldn't care less who plays and who doesn't. But you could be looking at a situation where your marquee teams have – 10 or more guys not playing because they have a payday coming very soon. Um, hey, Dad, do you think it's any more realistic now than it was a few weeks or a couple of months ago? A spring football league? No. No. I don't think it's realistic at all. I, I just don't. I, I, if I'm the Big Ten, I would just – I understand why they're not doing it. I do, because their players will just mass exodus. But they're not going to play football in the spring. They're going to play football fall of 2021. That's just when they're going to play. They're going to – because they don't want to – they don't want to be shut out of two different college football playoffs. And if they go to try to play like a shortened season in 2021 fall, they're not going to go to the college football playoff. They're just – they're not going to be able to do that. They would, would See, I think – I think – Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I think coaches and athletics directors in the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have somehow managed to wrap their mind around the idea of, you know, if we play it in January and February instead of February, March, and April, then there's time to recover. We can still play the full season the next year. Uh, if they play a full season, if they play, and we're talking about Ohio State might play, what, 24 games? Potentially. In a calendar if, year? If, they, if they were to play eight in the spring or the winter, followed by a conference championship game, and then were a national championship contender that got all the way to the championship game, you would be looking at nine games plus 15 games. Yeah. 
An NFL team that wins the Super Bowl won't play that many games. In, in, a, in a calendar year, the, the Chiefs, what do they play? F- three playoff games? And then they'll play what? I guess the regular season will play like, thir- they're only going to play 16 or 17 games. Even if they had a well, full preseason. Six, 16, 16 in the regular season and then three in the playoffs. Right. So, I mean, that's that's 19. Yeah. There's, there's no way. I cannot wrap my head around that happening. And then if you play a shortened season, I can't wrap my head around the college football playoffs saying, yeah, we're going to let this team who's played eight games in, even though these other teams played 12. I don't see that happening either. Well, and if you're talking about a true calendar year, if you're using the Chiefs for an example, you would have what? Three playoff games, including the Super Bowl. And then one or two preseason games. And then the 16 games in the regular season and maybe one playoff game before the calendar flipped again. You're still having trouble getting to that 24 number that you would be asking potentially a college football team to play. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. That's your college football fix. So, Brody Van Wegenen is the uh, general manager. I, I don't know if I said his last name correctly, of uh, the New York Mets. And he was talking with reporters, not in a press conference setting, but in the press room. And it appears as if it was a private conversation, because at one point, and the audio's low, there's some people that have actually boosted the audio so you can hear it a Let's little say, bit I tried better. to listen to it, and I could not hear what he was saying. So, Well, I mean, I played this. it and then put my ear all the way down, and I heard him say at one point, the three of us here, this can't leave this room. And... um. He says that Rob Manfred pitched the idea of, instead of the Mets skipping the game tonight, not playing tonight, he said, why don't you have all the players come out on the field at 7-10 and then have them leave the field symbolically and then come back and play the game at 8-10? And Van Wegenen, the GM for the Mets, goes, Rob, Rob, what are you talking about? They're saying they don't want to play. So apparently the commissioner is trying to manufacture a moment that will look good and still get him to play and said, according to Brody Van Wegenen, the, uh, so the commissioner said, look, man, it's a scheduling nightmare. We've got so much at stake here. We don't need to lose this game. Clearly that was not supposed to get out. Clearly. You get that's one of those things where whoever recorded this, that's gonna be probably easy to find, right? I mean, I I don't know. Because you, you said there's only a few people in the room. So, I, also, if you're if you're wanting to have a private conversation in a room where anymore. where media is. There's no such thing. It's not the place to do it, man. Even if somebody accidentally still has their their camera on. I mean, you've got people in a room like that who record stuff for a living. I mean, you can't have a private conversation in that room. You can say off the record, but if it's something like that, it's going to be difficult to keep that off the record. I will say 
whatever trust existed between the Mets GM and that media group is gone. Is gone. So you probably you're made your job probably. more difficult it's not moving probably. forward. It's not probably gone. It's gone. Hope that, I wonder if it's, but I mean, what if it's like the New York Daily News, some sort of big paper that they're like, they're not kicking us out? Or it was not? originally posted by. Hey, let's see this guy. Nick who this guy is Coco eighteen. I, I don't know who that right. is. It just says University of Maryland twenty one on his Twitter feed. He, he's he doesn't appear to be a reporter of any kind. Yeah. Um so he got the video from somebody else. So yeah, I mean, that's probably the, an easy easy thing to figure out who went to Maryland and just go from there. Well, the way it's being couched though, the Mets that, accidentally posted it on their website. Oh no. <laughs> and somebody found it before they could pull it down and grab the oh, audio. Oh man. Goodness gracious. Uh the way it's being couched, though, is Rob Manfred is trying to force the Mets to pull a social justice awareness stunt by having the players symbolically leave the field at 7-10 before returning an hour later to play at 8-10, even though the players don't want to play tonight. Big question here. The Could Mets. this... And, and, and here's the thing. I mean, what, what you don't hear at the... Or what you hear at the end, if you listen closely to it, is Van Wegenen saying, at a leadership level, Rob Manfred just doesn't get it. I mean, come on. He just doesn't get it. So GMs in baseball are saying the same thing that other people have been saying publicly for months now with regard to Rob Manfred. My question is, is this going to cost Rob Manfred his job? It's possible. So... It's been taken down off their app and website, but that was live streamed. <laughs> that made it on the uh, pregame press conference live stream. 35 minutes into it, that kid, I, I guess, noticed what was going on or listened very closely or I, I don't know. But that's where it came from. He did that. That is brutal. while it was being streamed live on their own platforms. Ooh. <laughs> it's the Mets too. Of course, it's the Mets. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 who it had to be, right? Nobody else could screw that up. Not the White Sox, not the Royals, not the Mariners, the Mets. If you're leadership right now, I mean, that's the, the next question, right? Is It sounds like the NBA's figured it out. I mean, who knows what they're going to have to, what the ownership group or whoever's going to have to do more to satisfy them, but the players have agreed to play. They're going to play the playoffs. Too much money at stake. They're going to play. If you're Roger Goodell, or maybe even Greg Sankey in the SEC, what do you do? I mean, where where do you have to draw a line as a leader to make sure your games get played? Because as we talk about all the time, there's so much money at stake. But to make sure your players don't revolt and then just walk off the field. And I know a lot of people are thinking, well, good, let them do it if they want to. But I'm talking about leadership, team owners, 
financial partners. There's so much tied into these games happening. How do you thread that needle? Especially if you're Goodell, because it's coming in the NFL. Where do you draw a line on statements and all of this stuff and boycotting practice and potentially walking out on games? Where do you draw a line? I don't know, and and this isn't the same question you're answering, but it's something I've been playing around with in my head for a little while. We've gotten several text messages throughout the course of the day. Not, not one specific person, maybe half a dozen people, that have said, I'm done with pro sports. I don't watch the NBA anyway. Uh, I'm hanging it up. I don't care. I go to sports for a release, not for it to be political, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think for a lot of people, that's easy to say about the NBA and to a lesser degree about the NFL. But people where we live, people that listen to this show, if you're listening to this show right now, there's a good chance that you are a big college football fan, that you love college football. One, when people say, I'm done with pro sports, or I'm done with the NBA, or I'm done with the NFL. One, do they really mean it? Like, is that legitimate? I'm done. I'm not going to any games. I'm not watching any games. I'll find other things to do with my time. And number two, and this makes it much more relevant locally, what would have to happen in college football for a significant number of people to say the same thing about the sport that so many of us love. I'm done. To answer, I don't, th- I, I don't think players boycotting practice is the tipping point for that. Maybe it's one of those things where it's, you know, there's not a tipping point. It's just a, a bunch of tipping points. You know, it's just a, a tidal weight of momentum. Everything sort of adds up after a while. You know, I mean. When we look at protests, no one protest ever changed anything, hardly ever. I can't imagine. You know, it's it's just the, the constant buildup of pressure over time that does that. Do you think that point exists for college football? Yes. I, I mean, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that he was the reason it happened, but Kylan Hill's decision to tweet what he tweeted back in the summer feels like it was the final push towards change. So I mean yeah, there, there there has to be there there has to be a point where you can affect change. It's just how far are you willing to go with your protest. And for the college football players, there is no nine hundred million dollar carrot to dangle in front of them. Yeah, a lot of them could go pro, but they'll go pro either way. So and to answer your question, I think there are people that say they're done and they're really not, especially when it comes to football. But there are people that go. It's evidenced by ratings numbers and stuff. But, like, Richard, you heard it. When Ole Miss got rid of Colonel Reb and when they got rid of Dixie, oh, I'm done forever, never going to an Ole Miss game again. And years later, they broke attendance records. So... There are some people that say that and they don't mean it, or say that and they never watched it, but I think if college football players boycott a game, there are people that you will lose forever. No doubt. 
Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad on this Thursday afternoon. This is unrelated specifically to sports. So, stick to sports, guy. Get ready. I do want to read this because I think it highlights the problem that so many people have with the out-of-control nature of protests. I think most people recognize that the right to protest is a sacred American right and would not stand in the way of that. But the the dividing line between a protest and violent riots in the name of protesting Like, there's a significant gap between those two things. What are you talking about, Richard? Here's a release from the Kenosha Police Department in Wisconsin. Obviously, that is ground zero for all that's going on right now. The release came this afternoon, but it's referencing an event that happened yesterday. During the early evening hours of August 26th, yesterday, Kenosha Police Department received a citizen tip alerting us to several suspicious vehicles without a state plates meeting in a remote lot near State Highway 50 and Green Bay Road. Acting on this information, Kenosha Police officers located the suspicious vehicles and took up surveillance. They were assisted by the United States Marshals. The vehicles were a black school bus, a bread truck, and a tan minivan. They confirmed the out-of-state license plates. Police followed the vehicles to a gas station near Washington Road and 30th Avenue. They observed the occupants of the black bus and bread truck exit and attempt to fill multiple fuel cans. Suspecting that the occupants of these vehicles were preparing for criminal activity related to the civil unrest, officers attempted to make contact and investigate. They exited their vehicles, identified themselves, were wearing appropriate identification, and then detained the occupants of the bus and the bread truck. The minivan attempted to drive away. However, Kenosha police stopped this vehicle and ultimately forced entry into the minivan and arrested the occupants. The vehicles contained various items that included helmets, gas masks, protective vests, illegal fireworks, and suspected controlled substances. The nine individuals were arrested for disorderly conduct and are are, uh, pending charging decisions by the Kenosha County District Attorney. So there's a reason that I I read that. And it's not to say, oh, this is bad, this is good, whatever. The point is, 
the issues that are being brought to light by NBA players, WNBA players, citizens who are peacefully protesting, Major League Baseball players, etc., they get lost because of stuff like this. You, you want me to focus on the message of we've got to do better. We've got to be better. We've got to improve the relationship between law enforcement and specifically minority communities, but law enforcement and the public writ large, period. But then this is going on. And the people who are yelling and screaming the loudest for defunding the police and Black Lives Matter and all of these other things, this is what's going on that drives people away from the message that is important and the message that is real and the message that, frankly, has momentum to potentially generate good change. You got people rolling in, filling up gas tanks, getting ready to basically create domestic bombs to blow up buildings and businesses and create destruction. To what end? How's that going to make anything better? That's not their goal. It's not their goal. It's just spreading hate. Anarchy. Anarchy. I mean, crap in Seattle, chop, chaz, whatever it was they were calling it, you know, flavor of the day. What they allowed to have happen in Portland. What New York City looks like right now. New York City is my favorite city in the world. It doesn't look like New York right now. You drive up and down Fifth Avenue and you have store after store after store after store that has plywood boarded up windows. There's no life. There's no energy. There's no business. There's no commerce. And if you owned a business, why would you? Saks Fifth Avenue, who has one of the, the famous window displays of anywhere in the world, especially at Christmas time, it's this unbelievably elaborate, festive Christmas display in their windows. It has nothing to do with selling clothes or drawing people in. It's a tourist attraction. It is boarded up with plywood, and the top of the plywood is wrapped in razor wire like you see when you pass a maximum security prison on the streets of Fifth Avenue in New York City. That's why there's such a disconnect. And then the irresponsibility of those that are covering it. I mean, there was another... Live video last night of a reporter from a major news network standing standing in front of a building on fire describing the peaceful nature of the protest. It, it, to your point, you can cover them both and discuss them both separately. But when you are purposefully defending or ignoring the destruction, people loop them together. Because the way it's covered is it's the same thing, right? They're not separating them. You can separate them, and they choose not to for whatever reason. And Don Lemon said it perfectly last night. 
It's not about actually stopping it or making a change. Back to my point earlier in the show, he said it's not polling well. So, so <laughs> leaders need to step in and stop it because it's not polling yeah. well. Not because businesses and lives are being destroyed. Because Biden might not win. So we got to change it. it what, and that, the thing is, it, whether or not you think the statements have any merit to it, at least Biden's like, hey, that's bad. Don't do that. You know what I mean? At least the, the guy running for president is doing what the media should be doing. This out of state, a bunch of out of state anarchists coming in to destroy a city that or a town they've never been to. Bad. That should be stopped. Peaceful protests, meaningful message. Good. You guys should listen. Why is that so hard for people to do? I I guess it doesn't drive ratings, though. You know, telling the truth and being honest and nuanced doesn't sell today. Complicated time we're living in. Some would say, no, it's not complicated. And we've had, we've had a number of text messages throughout the day that have um, that that have said this, this thing's pretty simple. When the when the police tell you to do something, when a police officer tells you to do something, you do it. And if you do it, the situation does not, generally speaking, escalate beyond that. No, that's not a good enough explanation for some people. I'm not sure why exactly. And and we, we pointed this out yesterday. Sure, there are bad cops out there. Just like there are bad lawyers out there. There are unscrupulous radio hosts that are out there. There are bad real estate agents that are out there that are looking to screw people. There are bad accountants who are looking to screw their clients, who are looking to screw the government. They're bad elements every single place you look in life. But the majority is not bad. The majority is good and is trying to do good and is trying to do what's right. I'm not mad at NBA players who are trying to use their voice. I don't necessarily agree with their methods, but I'm not upset with them trying to use their voice for good. I'm not upset with Mississippi State players saying, I'm not going to practice football today. We're going to make a stand. Whether it's symbolic or otherwise, we're going to make a stand. Not mad at Kentucky football players for doing that. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.